welcome to Common Ground with Bill Spadia. I am not Bill Spadia. I'm Elizabeth Nader, and I'm pleased to be able to guest host today. Thank you, Bill, for giving me this chair, and I'm really excited and honored about our guest today. But before we get to our guest, like, rumble, share, subscribe, all the things so other people can participate in this amazing show. So today's subject is China. Timely, timely subject, right? Now, President Biden was interviewed recently, and he was asked, who is our biggest enemy? And no surprise, he said, Russia. And then he said, well, China is our biggest competitor. Well, President Biden, I beg to differ with you. You know, the left says Russia, 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 while we ignore China. And as we saw in this last week, we have a major issue with China. And that's the subject of today's podcast. And we are so lucky to have with us the foremost expert on China and Chinese-American relations. And somebody who, by the way, just happens to be from New Jersey, which makes us even better. My friend and an esteemed individual author and speaker, Gordon Chang. Gordon, welcome to Common Ground. We are so pleased to have you here. Well, I'm so pleased to be talking to you, Elizabeth. So thank you. Well, we have a lot to talk about, and you've been generous in your time with us today. We're going to take callers later, and I know everyone wants to talk about the balloon, but we're going to leave that till a little bit later, right? Because I think it's important for us to do a little bit of a history lesson. So before we get into that, though, Gordon, I know that you're on multiple outlets every day talking about China, but uh, not many people ask you about your background. So I would like you to share with our audience why this is such a big thing for you. What is your background? I was born in New Jersey um, and grew up here, and uh, I'm back in New Jersey. I I practiced law, um, and there were various stints, uh, starting in New York, um, Hong Kong for 10 years, uh, 1981 to 1991, Um, then in California for five years, and then five years from 96 to 2001, uh, we were in Shanghai. Um, And then then I I was, towards the end of that period, I was writing a book called The Coming Collapse of China, and I've been writing and speaking about China ever since. Amazing. And that book, by the way, is great. It's on Amazon, among other books that you've written. So let's go back a little bit in time. I mean, recent history, but enough so that we get some context, because I think people have failed to understand how we got here with China. And if we go back to the 60s and Mao and what happened with the Great Leap Forward, which, you know, 65 million people died from starvation, and then we got into the Cultural Revolution, more chaos, more death. But in 1972... Richard Nixon was the first sitting president to visit China and to start diplomatic relations with them again. I believe the last time before that was something like 1949. So what's happened since 72? Why was that a pivotal moment? And what happened in the years afterwards? Well, in 1972, um, as you point out, Nixon went to China and essentially he wooed Mao Zedong, the Chinese leader, away from the Soviet Union. And the Cold War ended really two against one, uh, United States and China against the Soviets. Um, After that, uh, we tried to integrate China into the international system because we felt that if China got stronger, it would realize it had a stake 
in the world, and therefore it would try and defend it. Um, that was probably the greatest mistake in American history, wow. because as China got stronger, it didn't become benign. It actually became more hostile, progress, uh, uh, provocative and belligerent. And so we find ourselves in this disastrous situation right now where, you know, we've had a series of presidents, Republicans, Democrats, liberals and conservatives who have felt that it was in their interest to support the Communist Party. And now we're starting to understand that that probably was not the smartest thing to do. Yeah. Well, you say that very lightly, but you're right. And after 72, now I remember I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, so I'll date myself a little bit. It's okay. Um, But I remember China starting to loom large. And some of the things I remember are the universities. Let's, Let's talk about that a little bit. What was their plan and has been their plan infiltrating our universities? Well, it's it's not just been universities where they, where they have Confucius Institutes. There used to be about uh, 108, 110 of them. Now there are about 10. Um, but the Confucius Institutes have been rebranded. These basically are, are um, arms of the Communist Party's United Front Work Department, which is intended to have relations with other countries and in many cases to try to bring those countries down. Um, which is what they plan to do to the United States. But we also have to worry about the Confucius classrooms in our secondary schools. And, of course, China's infiltrated all the other institutions in American society beyond um, the schools and and universities. So we've got a problem where we've got to cut China out of our society because they're using every point of contact to destroy America. And regarding the universities with the research and their ability to steal secrets or be involved in that, what have you seen in the past few decades regarding that issue? You know, we, we invited uh, generations of, of Chinese students onto our campuses. And um, we, you know, we sort of estimate that maybe about 13% of those students commit espionage. Um, and this has been a persistent problem. Um, President Trump tried to do something about this by denying visas to Chinese military officers who lied their way into university campuses. But also, um, Chinese theft is, I think, also a large part of um, result of our laxity. Um, we've no, we allow Chinese diplomats and Ministry of State Security agents to surveil Chinese students. So those students really have no choice but to do what the Communist Party wants them to. And, you know, Elizabeth, this is our country. We shouldn't be permitting this. Um, I don't know if we we got every diplomat and every Ministry of State security agent off our country that this would problem of espionage would go away. But I think that it would probably ameliorate to a point where it was um, we could deal with it. Clearly, right now, we can't. Well, I want to get back to the spy network a little bit later because we've had some with Fang Fang and some recent issues that that's come to light. But when I think back to the 70s and 80s and our supply chain, this is where Americans started to get addicted to cheap products. This is where everything began to change in our manufacturing. And we became a slave to this cheap resource, right, which which is China. Talk about why that has been such a dangerous trend for our country. Well, what China has been able to do is um, it's been able to buy off important elements of the American political system. So Wall Street and Walmart. Um, And as you say, you know, we we just shipped our manufacturing over to China. Uh, That 
decimated communities in in our country. Um, so we got a fentanyl crisis in large part because people don't have hope. Yeah. Um, and and you go through all of this. Uh, we need to manufacture in the United States um, because we did not realize that sometimes when you you don't manufacture, you lose valuable skills. Those skills are necessary to innovate on products. So we have to bring manufacturing back here. And um, there are a number of factors that will help us because manufacturing is becoming far more automated, which means that robots in the United States are are no more expensive than robots in China. Um, Also, uh, we're starting to understand that the skies and the seas are no longer reliably safe. We're in a very different world than we were three decades ago. Yes. Um, You got the Ukraine war and all the rest of it. So we have to uh, make sure that we can onshore um, our productive capacity in manufacturing. Yeah, very important. And I I know there has been a trend in recent years, you know, consumers looking and saying, is it made in China and trying to avoid that. But the problem has been, of course, the price point and all of that. Of course, COVID, which we're going to talk about in in detail, um, disrupted supply chains as well. So America has had to look at their manufacturing in a different way. I I think part of this whole supply chain issue and the manufacturing is also human rights. And, And we know that China has been abysmal on human rights and, you know, genocide and torture and, and, and the things that they've done in the work camps and, and, and all of this. Um, I don't know if you, you probably know, but uh, Representative uh, Chris Smith, our Congress congressman from New Jersey, introduced a great bill, which is H.R. 7193. And uh, this is to strip the Chinese Communist Party of its permanent normal trade relations based on their human rights violations. This whole issue of them uh, torturing dissidents and, and creating all of these awful human rights issues, this has been growing since the 60s. Is that correct? Oh, it certainly has. Um, China, and then the worst abuses are against the Uyghurs, the Kazakhs, and the other Turkic minorities in what the Chinese call the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, which is the northwestern part of the country. Um, and since 2017, um, what's happened is the, the Communist Party Secretary of Tibet, who sort of perfected these techniques of uh, repression of a minority, was transferred over to Xinjiang. And there we have witnessed since then um, the establishment of what are essentially concentration camps, the detention of perhaps three million Uyghurs and Kazakhs, uh, and there's been genocide, as defined in Article 2 of the Genocide Convention of 1948, an attempt to eliminate uh, um, a minority. Um, there's been um, torture. There's been killings. We know there have been killings and murders in these concentration camps because China actually, a couple of years ago, built a crematorium between two of these concentration wow. camps. Um, but there's been uh, rape as official policy, imprisonment of children. Um, this is some of the most horrific um, crimes in the world um, since uh, the Second World War. So uh, this butchery, this these atrocities, um, uh, just uh, unspeakable. And then um, so there's another genocide we don't talk about, Elizabeth. Mm, yeah. But China deliberately spread COVID-19 beyond its borders. And that's an attack on non-Chinese. And technically, that is genocide. So we have, that's that's 6 million killed. Uh, Actually, 6.6, 6.7 million people killed. 
um, from a disease that should have never left central China. Oh, we've got to talk about that. I, I really want to dive into that. Regarding the atrocities, though, how are we getting this information, Gordon? How are we finding out what's going on behind their borders? You said, you know, there's some surveillance that we have. We know they built the crematorium. Uh, how do we know, though? Are there people getting out? Do we have assets on the ground? Primarily, how are we getting the information about what they're doing to their citizens? Well, first of all, there's satellite imagery. Um, but most important, um, basically, the Uyghur families are, are talking about what's happening to mothers, fathers, children, cousins, aunts and uncles. So these are personal stories that are, are coming out and they're and they're consistent. So um, and both Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and his successor, um, Anthony Blinken, have both said that China and made formal declarations that, that China is committing genocide against the the Turkic peoples. But we can't forget that uh, they've got similar policies, maybe not quite as severe, but similar policies with regard to Tibet. Right. So this is a systematic attempt to eliminate minority consciousness in China. And that is the definition of genocide. Sure. What is it like to live there, Gordon? Is, you know, we hear about social scores and being watched and the control over the internet, the state media. What is it like as an average citizen on any, any given day in China? I think the Americans need to have a little connection to what it means. Because, you know, our enemy is the government. Our enemy is the CCP, right? Our enemy is not the people of China. They're the ones suffering. So what is it like to be someone in China on a daily basis? Well, China's moving back to a totalitarian system. Um, and so there is constant surveillance. Um, there is, you know, somewhere like 600 million surveillance cameras wow. in a country of 1.4 billion people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And there is um, what you call um, the nationwide social credit system, which government is still trying to knit together. But this is like a credit score, but it's a score which is based not just on um, credit worthiness. It's, it's based on political reliability, uh, based upon any number of things that China has been able to collect and the person's score gets adjusted and people with low scores are, are not allowed to send their children to school. Um, they can't buy bus tickets. Um, you know, at some point they will not be able to leave their homes, which is what officials say. They, they, they want this system to be so rigorous that those with low scores will not be able to even leave their front steps. Wow. Shocking. So this and then there's the Great Firewall and the Communist Party's system of neighborhood watchers. So this is a uh, China's becoming very close to a total surveillance society right now. Wow. Cautionary tale. Cautionary tale for us over here who sometimes uh, people who take lightly uh, the introduction of any of these kind of things in, in this country. And we've seen some of that sort of, uh, you know, leaking in in the past few years. Let's get back to trade for a moment, because I know we're not just going to talk about the problems today. We're going to talk about solutions as well, because I know you have solutions. What do you think, you know, Chris Smith has his bill he's introducing, and I know uh, Trump did a lot to impact trade. What is the solution in terms of trade with China to hold them accountable and also to put the United States and America first again? Well, the most important thing is we've got to bring back some critical industries like pharmaceuticals, because China makes somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 90 percent 
of our pharmaceuticals, either the pharmaceuticals themselves or the active pharmaceutical ingredients, the components. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a critical vulnerability. We need to bring that back. Um, and the government can be very, very um, persuasive uh, with a number of things it can do, create incentives, and it can also create prohibitions. But just on general run-of-the-mill manufacturing, there's one very simple thing that we can do. You know, we've got a problem at our southern border, and the people who are coming across our border are not Mexicans. Um, Mexico right now is relatively prosperous because of the USMCA agreement. Um, that's our, our free trade agreement covering um, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., the successor to NAFTA. And um, the people who are coming are from Central America. And the reason why that's the case is because those societies were decimated when China joined the World Trade Organization mm -hmm. in 2001, because manufacturing left all the countries in this hemisphere, but especially from Central America. And that's, those societies are destabilized, so people want to leave. Now, we can actually encourage factories to move from China to Central America. We've, we've got a free trade agreement with the region. It's called CAFTA-DR, mm -hmm. um, CAFTA being Central America and DR, the Dominican Republic. And that agreement has been a failure, um, but we can liberalize the provisions of that, and that would encourage factories to locate to Central America. Um, that would stabilize those societies. We wouldn't have a problem at our southern border. Um, and we'd be getting goods um, in labor rates in Central America are actually cheaper than in China. Um, transportation costs would be less, especially yeah. if Mexico builds a couple more railways. Um, and we actually clean the environment because transporting goods from Central America to the American market would actually put less carbon in the air than transporting them all the way across the Pacific. So, you know, it's, it's a win from every perspective. So mm -hmm. that's something that we can easily do. Wow. Uh, and it wouldn't take very much to change that free trade agreement because we could just unilaterally liberalize many of the provisions. Sounds like common sense to me. We may need a change in D.C. before we can implement any of that. Um, but this is valuable. This is why you're so valuable, Gordon, because these are the solutions that we need to put in place. The pharmaceuticals, let's go back to them for a moment. The pharmaceutical companies in this country are incredibly powerful. And of course, they've been on the front burner in the past two, three years with COVID. Why are they as American companies, not more concerned about the fact that the elements of the drugs they put together, and in some cases, the entirety of a drug itself, is manufactured in China. Are they in on it? Where, where do they stand? Because if I'm the CEO of a U.S.-based pharmaceutical company, I would be concerned about that. Yeah, uh, right now, they don't see any uh, inhibitions to this. Um, but for every industry, they can see um, the problems in the world. I mean, because we've been transitioning from a period of general calm to one of constant turbulence. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's in their it's in their interest, as in the interest of all other industries to get out of China, especially also because of very, very disadvantageous policies that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is is starting to impose on all businesses, not just foreign ones. But, you know, this is this is primarily a political problem. I mean, we need the president of the United States to use his authority under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977 and get those factories out of China. 
Um, and we need them, um, and a certain amount of them have to be on our um, doorstep or have to be in the United States itself, preferably in the United States. Right. right. We can do this. Um, it just takes political will, which we don't have. And it's, it's not just a Biden problem. It's, you know, a lot of free trade Republicans are standing in the way. Yeah. Well, you know, when we make money off of China, we're happy, right? And that happened during the Clinton uh, years, especially. We've made money off their artificial intelligence. When we make money as Americans, we tend to look the other way. It's not the best thing in the world, but that's what happens with us. And there have been times in the past few decades where we've been enriched uh, many times by, by the relationship with China. It makes it harder to make some of these decisions. Now, let's get back to some of the infiltration, because it's one thing to make good policy decisions and we need to uh, elect the right people to implement the right policy decisions, but they are forever trying to infiltrate our society, as we talked about before. This whole issue that we had with uh, Congressman Swalwell and uh, Fang Fang, as she's known, it wasn't just him. This was the uh, spy, as everybody remembers, that he was dating in some form, um, but she had actually infiltrated uh, politicians at local levels, mayors, as I understand it. Um, this this story about Fang Fang, first of all, uh, this has been corroborated, right? This is this is absolutely real. It's not a made up uh, Hollywood uh, <laughs> version of some great movie, right? I mean, this is the real deal. Yeah, this is the real deal. Um, the, well, this. The most scary aspect of the Swalwell incident is that she did not contact him when he was on the House Intelligence Committee, where, of course, he'd be of great value for China. She contacted him first when he was on the um, a city council member in Dublin City, California. Wow. So if China contacted him there, there's got to be hundreds, if not thousands of Swalwells um, across the U.S. I mean... It is not a sin to be uh, targeted by the Ministry of State Security, mm -hmm. but um, Swalwell's sin is not talking about it and leveling it with the American public. Right. I mean, if Swalwell said, you know, I slept with her, I didn't know she was a spy, when I found out, I ditched her, I would be okay with that. Yeah. But he's been quiet, yeah. um, and he's been silent about it, which means he's got something to hide, mm -hmm. which means... Yeah, he's a security risk, because if he's not willing to talk about it with the American people, it means there is something he's hiding. Scary. It's amazing to me that they've figured out, you know, we often say politics is local, right? And there's the power of what happens in your neighborhood and what happens in your city council, your school board. I think they've figured out the same thing about our society. If you're telling me they're infiltrating at the mayor level, at the city council level, they know that this is the very basic building blocks of who we are in America. And if you can change that, if you can infiltrate that, if you can infiltrate the schools, as you mentioned before, not just the universities, we're infiltrating down at K through 12. This is the very essence of who we are as Americans. So what does the average American do? I mean, we, we look around every corner for a Chinese spy. I mean, this is very scary. It feels a little sci-fi, but what's the reality, Gordon, about elected officials at the local level? How can they be careful? Well, I mean, it's, it's just up to the American people to elect candidates who will unwaveringly oppose China. Yeah. Um, th there's... The problem goes all the way up to the chain. And we need a president who is willing to um, cut the links with China because China 
exploits every point of contact with the United States to take our society down. So we got to sever those contacts. And we can do that because this is our country. Yep. Um, and especially now where political opinion is changing on China, um, we've got some momentum. Yeah, we need to keep it. We need, you know, I know that's why you're everywhere. We need to keep it in the public eye. It can't just be about the balloon, which we'll get to. I know everyone listening is, where are we talking about the balloon? But there's so many other things that affect our lives. The food supply. Now, this is another thing, and here's a local New Jersey thing uh, that we can talk about, which is Senator Doug Steinhardt, as you know, introduced uh, legislation to ban foreign ownership of New Jersey farmland uh, amid all these rising threats. But the reality is we've also seen over the past few years uh, food production plants explode, implode. We've seen them being targeted. Do we know that that's China? How does our food supply look in terms of uh, being infiltrated from them? Are we at risk, not only with farmland, but the actual supply chain of our food? Oh, we're absolutely at risk. Um, there's some strange things going on. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the problems at those food processing plants, I, I don't know um, who is responsible or whether it's more than just coincidence. But we do know that China um, bought Smithfield Foods, for instance. And we know that there's some pretty strange things going on in American farmland. Um, so, for instance, in Oklahoma, um, Chinese parties have been buying up land and letting it go fallow. Which doesn't sound too bad, but when you're in a, you know, a global food shortage, yeah. that's not a good thing. No. But nonetheless, we've also seen Chinese parties buy land in Oklahoma and have these illegal marijuana growing uh, operations. About a couple months ago, there were four Chinese nationals who were murdered on some uh, farm, which was probably drug related. Mm. Um, there are allegations that Chinese parties have been conducting uh, child sex trafficking operations in Oklahoma off of farmland. Um, and, you know, in, in Oklahoma, as they say, um, the Chinese are building fences on their property, wow. which is really no big deal because everybody in Oklahoma builds a fence. Yeah. But everybody in Oklahoma builds a fence to keep people out. Right. The Chinese are building fences on their property to keep people in. Oh, my gosh. We, yeah, we've we've got to investigate that. And until we get to the bottom of this, I think that we should get the Chinese off of our farm and ranch land and not just Oklahoma, not just New Jersey, but throughout the United States. Amen to that. And kudos to Senator Doug Steiner for introducing this legislation. He's actually going to be on the show next week to the audience when Bill is back. I just want to mention that uh, we do have a call-in number and we are going to get to the balloon, but the call-in number is 973-891-4421. We do have a caller, but before we get to him, I just want to talk quickly about fentanyl because one thing that people don't realize, and you mentioned it before, is that China is actually giving the um, the rest of the world, South America, the precursors, the chemicals to fentanyl. So the fentanyl coming across our border is actually coming from China because they are manufacturing the precursors, right, Gordon? So this issue we're having now, fentanyl is killing 300 Americans, 300 Americans a day. This would be like a major airline carrier crashing every day in this country. I think if that happened, somebody would do something about it. So fentanyl now, while it initially was thought of as this issue, the Mexicans are bringing it over, the Guatemalans, no, 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 no. Now China is behind behind this, right, Gordon? 
Yes, I mean, fentanyl is synthetic. It has to be designed. It's right. designed in China. Um, the precursor chemicals, as you point out, are manufactured there. And the Chinese um, send it over. It used to be um, directly into the U.S. Now they're going through primarily two cartels on uh, Mexico's, uh, the Mexican border. Um, the thing here is that in China's near total surveillance state or total surveillance state, these fentanyl gangs could not operate without the knowledge and approval of the Communist Party. And we believe that communist officials, local officials are getting paid off. So wow. there's that. But we also know that Chinese diplomats have been supporting the fentanyl operations and the fentanyl operations launder their proceeds through the Chinese state, the Chinese state banking wow. system. So this is um, not some, quote unquote, criminal activity. This is the activity of the Communist Party. They want to murder Americans. They that, are. Um, probably when we get the figures for next last year, probably about 80,000 Americans have died from illegal fentanyl doses from fentanyl made in China. Wow. Well, in, in many ways, the war is here, isn't it? So we have a caller, Gordon, um, Dave from East Hanover. Dave, are you on the line? Do you have a question for Gordon? Hi, thank you both. This is a very great, informative information that you guys are passing along. I really appreciate it. I just want to know, you know, as an average citizen, what can we do to not have China take over our country? Good question. Great question. Um, so first of all, if you've got mutual funds, um, tell your broker to sell the international mutual funds because they almost certainly have China stocks in them. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing, are you, are you a federal employee, by the way, if I may ask? I am not. Okay. Well, if you were, um, you would have um, the ability to invest through the thrift savings plan, um, which itself has mutual funds, which have Chinese stocks. And by the way, it has chi stocks of Chinese companies that are on the Commerce Department's entity list, which means um, as an American, you couldn't do business with those Chinese companies without getting a license from the from the Commerce Department. But you can own those companies, hmm. which is just um, incredible. Um, when you go to the store, um, you know, if you can, don't buy products from China. And um, I want everyone to support uh, legislation that Senator Rick Scott of Florida introduced last in last Congress and will introduce in this one. It's uh, on cool legislation. That's C-O-O-L, country of origin labeling. It would require websites to tell us where this stuff comes from so uh, you could make informed decisions. Excellent. Uh, and, of course, support candidates who are going to be unalterably opposed to the Chinese regime. Absolutely. That's great advice. We're going to repeat some of that at the end because I want people not to just be afraid, Gordon. We're all about optimism. We're Americans. We believe we can fix everything. So there is a solution whenever we have a challenge. So we want to make sure that people feel armed to do that. Let's get to COVID before we go to another caller here. COVID, Wuhan. So ultimately, the final call is, Gordon, was this an intentional leak? What is your view? Yeah, um, the scientific community is split. Most people in the scientific community think that it's a zoonotic transfer. In other words, it came from a bat in southern China, probably Yunnan province, um, got infected an intermediary mammal um, who then infected a human. Um, however, we have no one's been able to document the transmission links. 
there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that that COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes this disease, was actually manufactured. Mm. It, it, the, it, the, the virus itself looks like it's got some pretty unusual features to right. it. But regardless, you know, I think it's 95, 99% that this was engineered. But there's something that we know, Elizabeth, 100%. We know 100% that once this disease got out into the Chinese population, that the Chinese leadership deliberately spread it beyond their borders. They knew that COVID-19 was highly transmissible human to human no later than the second week of December 2019. But it was only until January 20 of 2020 that they admitted to the world that it was uh, contagious. In that time frame, they were lying their heads off. They were telling everybody that this was not contagious. Um, And they were doing that through the World Health Organization, and they were doing it on one-to-one conversations with, for instance, our CDC. But something else. I know lockdowns are controversial, but when China was locking down its own country, indicating they thought this was a way to stop the disease, they were pressuring the United States and others not to impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. So you put those two things together lying about contagiousness, forcing countries to take Chinese passengers. um, And that's the way they spread this disease. And so this is the first time in history that one nation has attacked all the others. And that's uh, what, 6.7 million, 6.8 million people have died from this disease by now. It's unbelievable. Outside China. Outside China. Shouldn't they be held accountable for this? You mentioned this earlier. Isn't there a way to hold them accountable? I am certain the Biden administration does not have the stomach for that. I believe a Trump-type administration would, and I think he probably intended to do that in his second term. How do we hold them accountable? Uh, There are any number of different ways. So, for instance, they're holding a lot of treasuries. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, they hold treasury obligations. We could just confiscate them. Yeah. we can go after their banks. We can do all sorts of things. And, and the reason why we got to do this, it's not a question of vengeance. Um, it's not a question of justice. It's a question of deterrence. Because, Elizabeth, we know that Chinese military scientists are now developing what they call specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune but kill everybody else. Wow. So the next, the next disease from China could and the United States, as well as other countries. So we got to stop the Chinese from thinking they can spread this without cost. And right now, Xi Jinping thinks, you know, he just killed almost 7 million people. Yeah. He was thinking, why don't I do it again? Right. Because nobody's imposed any costs on me. Yeah, full impunity. Nothing happened to him. And, and let's talk then about the, the current administration, because clearly they're not taking the moves that the previous administration would have taken, or that you, as uh, a President Chang, how do you like that, uh, would take, right? So let's start with the Biden family. I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop, the dealings with China. We know the media is in on, on hiding this. How bad is it really, Gordon? Yeah, I, I, there's two things to worry about. One of them is money. I mean, Hunter Biden's business dealings with China would not happen in the absence of corruption and influence peddling. And it's about time the FBI charged him. I mean, they could charge him on things. They can get him dead to rights. Mm. They can get him gun, gun charges, um, failing to register as a foreign agent, um, probably cocaine possession, all the rest of it. Yeah. They haven't done it. Right. Um, 
And then they could squeeze him to talk about what he's, his business dealings with, with dad and his uh, uncles. Um, and, and we know that, um, that uh, President Biden lied to the American people when he said he had never had a conversation with his son over his son's foreign business dealings right. because there's that voicemail um, mm -hmm. referring to um, uh, the president telling Hunter, you're going to be in the clear. Um, you don't have to worry about that New York Times story, which referring to a New York Times story of Hunter's business dealing with foreign governments. So there's that. But there's also something which is money leaves a trail. So right. eventually we'll get to the bottom of it, even with a corrupt FBI. But there's one thing we may never know. And this is even more serious. And that is blackmail. Hunter is a troubled individual by his own admission. We know he's been on Chinese soil. If he did anything compromising on Chinese soil, we would have, you know, the Chinese Ministry of State Security, they would have evidence of it. Sure. And that evidence could be used to blackmail the dad. Yeah. Absolutely. We have a compromised president as a result of this. I mean, look, there's something there, right? It's something very big. We don't have our arms around it. We have insight into it. We don't have an administration whose FBI arm is going to do what we want about it. But the story continues. There's so much more for us to learn. Now, this means that we have a compromised president, potentially. This means that he's making decisions as a result of his relationship with China. How dangerous is that? Well, we saw that with the balloon with incident. The balloon. Um, th there's, there's a lot of blame to go around, and I think most of the blame belongs in the Pentagon. Mm. Um, but Biden himself is, um, has done a number of things in the last several days that, that are just really troubling. So, for instance, his interview with Judy Woodruff of NPR, yeah. uh, sorry, PBS, um, yesterday, where he just sort of laughed this thing off, the the balloon incident um, as, as being no big deal and that it would not affect relations with China. And, and that's not just a slip of the tongue, because he said the same thing Monday in response to a question from a reporter. Um, absolutely, something absolutely has to be done about this, because China just surveilled our most sensitive sites. And, um, you know, for, for the dad, you know, Biden, he thinks, oh, you know, no big deal. Right. No um, big deal. Huge deal. So. Huge deal. It, it went over but, how many sites did it go over? A number of sites. It went over um, the th all three locations where we have Minuteman three missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles. That's Maelstrom Air Force Base, Minot, and uh, F.E. Warren. In addition, it went over Offutt in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, which is the headquarters of Strategic Command. And it went close to Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri, which is the only base for B-2 um, bombers, which are strategic bombers. And, and God knows what else it, it saw um, on its travels through the U.S. But, you know, Elizabeth, to be fair to the president, I think most of the blame does belong on the shoulders of the Pentagon. Mm. Um, they didn't tell Biden for four days right. what was going on. And those four days, they could have shot down that balloon over uninhabited Alaskan right. or Canadian land. Um, you know, um, and they should have absolutely done it. They should have shot it down as soon as it entered U.S. territorial airspace. And by the way, Leon Panetta, who was uh, one of President Obama's secretaries of defense on MSNBC today, talking to Andrea Mitchell, he actually said we should have shot this down before it hit U.S. territorial airspace. Of course. Which shows you, um, you know, how dangerous he thought it was. And I mean, I think we should have waited till it got to in inside the U.S. And right. 
But, you know, he's more aggressive than I am on it. But obviously, it should have been like the first minute it hit U.S. territorial airspace. We should have shot that sucker down. It's really hard for the American people to fathom. It enters Alaska. It goes down through through Canada. And then it enters in right to the U.S. again and to Montana and on and on and on. Now, if I want to give the Pentagon a little bit of credit, maybe they were scrambling the signal and, and China couldn't intercept the information. Come on. And it, they're saying as well, this happened during the Trump administration. Trump argues otherwise. Uh, has the Pentagon been failing us for a while with these balloons? Absolutely. What happened? Um the Pentagon acknowledges that no Trump official um, was ever notified because the Pentagon didn't know. The Pentagon had a number of unexplained incidences. And I think what's happened since this uh, spy balloon, they've went back through all the data um, and radar stuff that they've collected. And they realized that there were at least three Chinese balloon intrusions during the Trump administration. Um, so at least uh, the Pentagon is now becoming more aware of it. But, you know, it's scary to think, you know, here we have an $850 billion a year enterprise and they can't see a Chinese spy balloon. Yeah. Um, Frightening. But but what's even worse was the way the Pentagon dealt with this um, when when this balloon was approaching the U.S. And they just failed so many different times. So you got Biden failure, you got Pentagon failure, um, the American people should be outraged at the at all of this. Yeah, I think that they are. And, you know, it's it's not just the spying, Gordon. It's not just their ability to see our bases. It's also the opportunity to carry some sort of nuclear weapon to disrupt our grid with an EMP s- s- explosion. The amount of possibilities that are so dangerous and devastating to our country of what could be carried out via this balloon that was allowed to travel as it did are, are almost worse than any kind of sci-fi movie you could see. I mean, this is reality. They have the ability to do it, disrupt our grid, and just put our country into chaos. And that alone, I think, scares people to understand that, hey, the Pentagon isn't really looking out for you. Right. Well, it's, it's the Pentagon just failing to understand the risks from China. And by the way, Elizabeth, the, the thing that they found, which was invaluable, was they saw how we reacted to an yes. intrusion into our there airspace. There you go, right. Absolutely, because now they're saying, all right, they're not going to make a move, and Taiwan is the, is the next natural thing to discuss because they're flirting with when can we pull that off, right? So they're testing the U.S., what is our resolve, and how does that translate then to their aggressions towards Taiwan? Yeah, I mean, one of the th- theories um, that I have is that Xi Jinping authorized this intrusion because he wanted to make the case that the United States was incapable, mm. um, which fits in with his propaganda narrative of the last couple of years that the U.S. is completely declining country, you know, terminal decline. Right. And that um, countries around the world should ditch relations with us and start obeying China. So this is a huge propaganda win, regardless of whatever intelligence they got. I mean, the Pentagon's now saying that the Chinese stopped uh, transmitting from the balloon once we found out. But nonetheless, they found out so much beforehand. They see how we were reacting to intrusions, as I mentioned, and the propaganda win. Mm. So what do you see on the horizon for Taiwan? Um, What I can see, we can't know what's inside of Xi Jinping's head. Um, but we can see that China's preparing for war. 
Um, they've got the fastest military buildup since the Second World War. They're trying to sanction-proof their regime. And most ominously, they're preparing China's civilians for battle. They're trying to mobilize the civilian society. So these guys um, are ready to go to war. And what's really scary is that the United States is completely asleep. Completely. Um, but Biden won't even call them an adversary. He says they're a competitor. <laughs> competitor. He won't call them an adversary. Right. And he's certainly not using the correct term, which is enemy. 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 And not only that, he's got us distracted by Russia and Ukraine. So one of the things American people don't, you know, they don't fully grasp because the media refuses to talk about it is how China benefits from us being distracted by and funneling so much money to Ukraine. So how does that fit into the overall scheme? Well, China is all in behind Russia's war effort. And um, what Beijing has been able to see is that Biden keeps on issuing warnings to Beijing and Beijing continues to supply um, all sorts of assistance, including military assistance, and that we don't do anything. So Biden's been issuing hollow warnings. I tend to think what we have is the world breaking into basically two. Um, you've got China and Russia in the core of a new axis, along with their proxies like Iran, Pakistan, North Korea, maybe Algeria, and everybody else on the other side. And this new axis is, you know, it's, it's, it's basically destabilizing the world. And I think that one of the ways, and what, what's happening in Ukraine is that we're depleting our military um, right. stores of munitions and the rest of it. Um, I do think that we have to be there because um, if we can defeat Putin, that is one of the best ways to deter Xi Jinping from moving after Taiwan, India, Japan, Philippines, South Korea, or us. But we got to recognize that this is a world we're at. We're no longer at peace. Right. Um, we may not be in, at war, but we're very close to war. Well, I got to tell you, Gordon, you know, whenever anything happens with China, the first place I go is to your Twitter account. And uh, as do hundreds of thousands of other people. And by the way, guys, you see it on the screen, I'm sure, but it's it's at Gordon G. Chang. You need to follow Gordon on Twitter. Um, I have to admit to you, though, sometimes you scare me. <laughs> Some of your tweets frighten me. It's like, hold your kids closer, right? War is coming. But um, I, I say that only to say that, I mean, I trust you and I know that you know things that others don't. Uh, this is serious. This is an ominous time. Well, it certainly is. It's, um, I, I hope that people start to understand the gravity of this situation. The United States is a far stronger society than China, so we can deter it. But yeah. we can only deter it if we're trying to deter it. And we have um, an administration that um, doesn't understand the nature of China's challenge, not willing to talk to the American people about what's going on, and in fact, is um, undermining the weak deterrence that already exists. You know, the Chinese, whatever one thinks of, of President Trump, he actually stopped China and Russia in That's their right. tracks because he right. was just so unpredictable that that Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping just did not want to take him on. Yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, they see Biden as, uh, you know, just a big green light for yeah. their ambitions. So that's why we have the war in Ukraine. And that's why we have China threatening its neighbors and, and us. So this wow. is this is a world which could go very seriously wrong. This 
This could be 1939. Yes, it could be. And I'm going to take a caller now. Um, when we're done with the caller, I, I do want to talk about how the society in China is actually declining, because it's ironic, your, your, your book on the coming collapse, because while we talk about their aggression, there's actually a lot going on in their, their homeland that's not good. But let's go to David from Plainsboro first, who has a question for Gordon. David, are you with us? Yes. Go ahead, David. Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, stuff on my mind, uh, but the the correlation between uh, Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates playing things one way, uh, I've seen posts about uh, uh, him planning the next pandemic, and I've seen posts about Elon Musk with uh, humanoid robots and wanting to put uh, microchips in people's brains. Uh, uh, over this next year, okay, so what is his opinion of where they are headed and uh, how it's going to affect us because Starlink, satellites, all this stuff that China controls or uh, Elon Musk controls, how is his opinion, is it closely or uh, near future going to affect us? Well, Bill Gates is a villain. Um you know, Bill Gates has always been uh, carrying a lot of propaganda for China, um, which is not to say that he's disloyal, but um, um, I think he undermines um, free societies by by sugarcoating and, and putting China not only in the best light, but basically being deceptive about China. And and Gates has all of these, these sort of um, notions about uh, don't eat meat, um, and yeah. all the other things you talked about, um, because, you know, is this whole notion of um, globalism. Um, I, I'm, I'm very concerned about uh, Gates, who, by the way, is perhaps, I think, the largest owner of American farmland. Yes, so, there's that, too, right? He, I, I'm concerned about him buying up everything as he is as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know very much about Elon Musk. Um, but Starlink is important because it provides resilience to the United States because mm-hmm. um, China has um, got the capability to take down our satellites. But Elon Musk put so many satellites in order, orbit that, um, you know, the, the Chinese can't take them all down, which means that in a wartime setting, our military is going to rely on one man, Elon Musk, to prevent uh, a total blackout of American society. That's right. And also... Um, SpaceX is leading in the race to go to the moon. So um, I prefer Elon Musk on the moon than Xi Jinping. Yeah, that sounds good. I I prefer that as well. Let's go back to what's happening in China, because while we feel this ominous threat and it's real and we've talked about it in detail and it's something that we've got to focus on at the same time. And you wrote this book a few years ago on the coming collapse of China. At the same time, China is facing crisis within their borders. They've got domestic issues. They've got COVID-19, of course, has been big. They've got food shortages, a stagnating economy. And frankly, their population is actually declining at a rapid race, which is pace, which is taking them from the world's biggest, you know, uh, population. And now we've got India probably surpassing them. And we know they sort of hate each other. So talk to us about all these issues which they're facing at home, which are very serious. Yeah, China right now is is beset by simultaneous crises. 
Um, and, you know, we, there's the plunging property prices, uh, debt defaults, an economy that last year, I believe, contracted mm. and maybe contracting this calendar quarter. The worsening food shortages, which you pointed out, which is serious, deteriorating environment, COVID-19, which will infect by the end of this winter, um, about a billion, maybe 1.1 billion, who knows, and will kill somewhere between one and two million Chinese. Um, and those are immediate crises. But then, as you point out, there's demography, where China right now is 1.4 billion people. By the end of this century, it will lose somewhere between 900 million to a billion people. Wow. Which means that China, which is now more than four times populous in the United States, at the turn of the century, there'll be maybe 30 or 40 million people mm. more than us, if they're lucky. Wow. Um, so this is the steepest uh, demographic decline in history in the absence of war or disease. So I, that makes China actually, I think, more dangerous because um, Xi Jinping can see a closing window of opportunity, yeah. which means he can lash out, which means um, all sorts of uh, geopolitical consequences. Um, right. So China right now is more dangerous than it's ever been. I need to ask you this, and I've, I don't think I've ever heard you ask this question. How do our fellow Americans who are Chinese Americans, our fellow patriots, how do they feel about what's going on in their homeland? Um, well, the Chinese American community, um, you know, most, most Chinese Americans are not very political. Um, there are an element of Chinese Americans who are pro-Beijing. Um, so, for instance, um, Lydia, my wife, and I were in San Francisco recently, and you look in Chinatown and you can see um, the PRC flags flying over Chinatown. Really? Um, and um, the you know Chinese Americans, they always say, "Well, you." Uh, Beijing says, and and a lot of Chinese Americans will parrot this. Well, you can't criticize China because that just creates uh, hate against Chinese Americans. I look at it differently. I think that if you've got um, a sizable portion of Chinese Americans who um, are obviously loyal to Beijing, which means they're disloyal to the United States, then I think it's legitimate for other Americans to question their presence in our society. Sure. Um, so um, I think that if Chinese Americans don't want to be the targets of hate, nobody should be. But if Chinese Americans don't want to be the targets of hate, they got to police themselves. Yeah. Um, they have got to criticize um, those who support Beijing. And if we don't do that as a group, then I can understand why other Americans will take actions against us. Right. It's under it's understandable from that standpoint. Gordon, you have been more than generous with your time. I know you're usually on uh, Fox or other big networks for a two, three minute hit, and you've given us so much time. I, I have to I just appreciate you. I have to thank you. And Lydia, you guys are amazing. I do want the audience to know, as our hometown Jersey guy, uh, you will be at a seat at the table again this year, which is our conference on April 27th. Gordon, everybody is going to be speaking over lunch. I am telling you, it's captivating. It's amazing. So if you go to ASATTNJ.org, ASATNJ.org, you can get tickets. Um, Gordon, we're excited to see you there. Let's give everybody, as we close out here, let's give them a little bit of hope and inject again a what to do and, and, and the hope we have for the future because we are very optimistic and we believe that if we, if we come together as a nation that uh, we can win and ultimately get our country back and get back on track. So let's inject some hope into the people as we 
we leave? Well, you know, we're Americans and, and we're the strongest society in history. Um, the question is, we, we've just got to come together. And there are things that we can do. I mean, China needs the U.S. so badly in order to continue. And, and you know, China can't attack us without our consent, without right. our money. Right. So let's cut those ties. Let's strengthen ourselves. Let's prepare, you know, and, and protect our allies and our friends. And we can do it. You know, my dad came to this country at another time of war and just before the end of the Second World War. And he was on a Chinese government scholarship from Chiang Kai-shek, the nationalist. And Mao Zedong and the communists um, chased Chiang off of the mainland. And uh, a generous America allowed my dad to stay. Um, and uh, what he decided to do was, uh, you know, he started a restaurant, became successful, bought a building in Madison, New Jersey, mm-hmm. renovated it, triggered the, uh, the rejuvenation of the downtown town center. And my dad never missed an opportunity to vote. He never missed an opportunity to tell my three sisters and me how great his adopted country was. And he would always say that, that China was his birthplace, but America was his home. I love so it. the reason why we should be optimistic, Elizabeth, is because I learned from my dad that not only is America the greatest country in the world, but that also, and more important, we are good people. Yes, we are good people. And we're grateful he came here and we're we're grateful he had you and that you continue to fight for us. Gordon, thank you so much. We're going to see you uh, at CPAC and we're going to see you in April and uh, our best to you and Lydia. God bless you and everything you do. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. All right, guys. So Gordon Chang, amazing. Follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. You've got to follow him. He's got uh, ultimately the truth about China. And I want to let you know, too, that I know some of this can be overwhelming as we think about what's going on in our country. But the truth is, as we come together as citizens, we all have something that we can do. And Gordon laid out a few things that you can do. But we look at so many fights that we have. When we come together, and I always tell people it's either in your time, your treasure, or your talent, or some combination of that. God gave you time that you can put to the cause of fighting to keep our country great. God gave you treasure that you can donate to the cause. And God gave you talent to donate and do things. And, you know, all of us have to come together. And that's when Americans win. Americans win. So I want you to go to jointhefight2023.com. Jointhefight2023.com. And that is Common Sense Club's site where you can become a member at a very low amount just to be part of of what we're doing to regain the state and to regain this nation. Be a part of what we're doing. As Bill always says, keep the faith and keep the fight. And Bill will be back next week, guys. Thank you so much. Make sure you share this. Follow Gordon on social media. Go to jointhefight2023.com and we will see you guys next week. Have a great night.